Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome to Center Street Church. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, in uh, Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary. Uh, we're making our way through uh, the book of Colossians together, and so I'm just going to encourage you right now to open your Bibles to this wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul, and uh, we're going to dive into it in a moment, but first uh, I would like you to stand and join me in dedicating this time in the Word to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just so thank you uh, for revealing yourself to us, revealing yourself to us through um, your Son, Jesus, the living Word, and also revealing yourself to us through the Scriptures, the written Word. And Lord, as we look at this letter that was written to the church at Colossae, Lord, we ask that you would uh, instruct us by your Spirit, Lord, you would bring clarification where clarification is needed. Lord, that you would help us to remain focused on you and on your word. You'd remove distractions. You'd soften our hearts, Lord, to receive what the Spirit would want to say to us. And then you'd give us the courage, Lord, to, to actually live out what you're asking us to do. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. May be seated. A while ago, a young man approached me and he said, Pastor Henry, I've been a Christian for over a year now. And even though I'm growing in my faith, I constantly feel like I'm falling short of God's expectations. I understand that I'm a new person in Christ, but I am still struggling with sin in my life. And I just have this sense that he's just not very happy with me. This man's not alone in his struggles. If I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you can identify with his struggle? I'm sure most of your hands would go up. Just last week, uh, after one of our services, a person approached me and said, honestly, when Paul talks about putting sin to death, I feel like a fraud as a Christian a lot of the time. Because I'm still struggling this, and, and, and I, I, I really do want to live in victory. But how do I put sin to death in my life the way the Apostle Paul tells us to? Now, I may encourage you to know that the Apostle Paul himself struggled with the same issue in his life. If you turn over to Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he made this very honest confession. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And we collectively say, thank you, Paul, we needed that. That even a giant of the faith, like you, struggled in this area. But the Apostle Paul doesn't just identify with our struggle. In the book of Romans, Ephesians, and also here in Colossians, um, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the basis upon which we can be set free, not from the temptation and the reality of sin, but set free from the power of sin in our lives, the grip that sin has on our lives. Sin is a reality. And a lot of people, you know, it's funny, from time to time they say, why, why do we always have to talk about sin? Because sin is destroying our world, friends. It's creating relational carnage everywhere. Sin is at the heart of the death of relationships and so many other things that grieve us. Listen to the news. Look around the world. The heart of everything that's going on that's evil and corrupt is sin. Sin. 
And so this is of great concern to our God. And in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, Paul lifts up the name of Jesus. And he describes how through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been justified. Or we have been set free from the penalty of sin. And we've been made spiritually alive in our relationship with God. And then if you go to Colossians 3 and 4, Paul describes how we are presently being sanctified. Or how through Christ we're being set free from the power of sin. So we can grow in our relationship with God. And then in Colossians 3 verse 4, Paul talks about a day in the future when Jesus comes again. And we will be glorified or set free from the presence of sin. A day when our struggle with sin will end and be no more. And sin will be no more. Nor will there be any of the effects of sin. No more betrayal, no more sorrow, no more tears or fears or insecurities. No more death, none of it. And what a day that's going to be, amen? But we still live in a real world, don't we? Where sin and selfishness and the effects of sin are alive and well. And again, I just want to point out that we have to understand the heart of God in all of this. You know, when he pleads with us to stop sinning and to put it to death, it's not like he's up there with a big stick and just gets a jolly every time we cross a line so he can just give it to us. He loves us. He has our best interests at heart. He wants it to go well with us. Just like we who are parents want things to go well with our children. And it grieves us, it hurts us when they go their own way. And they bring harm to themselves. And so it is with God. And so here in Colossians 3, Paul focuses on the issue that many are struggling with. How can we be set free from the power of sin in our lives? Well, the first key to being set free from the power of sin in our lives is knowing who we are in Christ. Look at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Notice Paul, uh, Paul says, you died. But then he goes on to say, your life is now hidden in Christ. How is it possible to have died and be alive at the same time? Well, if you were here last week, you may remember me explaining that the Bible teaches that we live in two realms. The spiritual realm and the natural realm. The spiritual realm is the eternal realm, the heavenly realm, the unseen realm. It's the realm of completeness and wholeness and perfection. It's the realm of our spirit. And as Christ's followers, it is the realm of who we really are in Christ. And who we really are in the eyes of God. On the other hand, the natural realm is the temporary, the earthly realm. The visible realm. It's the realm of our body and soul. It's the realm in which we live and breathe. The realm of good and evil. The realm of growth. The realm of who we are becoming. The realm of we're not there yet. The Second Corinthians 4.18 spells this out. It says, so we fix our eyes... Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
And Paul is saying when Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again from the grave, something happened in the spiritual realm that has the capacity not only to change each of us, the very nature of who we are, but also how God sees us. In Colossians 1.13, you may remember us talking about this verse it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you put your total trust in Jesus Christ, when you surrender to him as your Lord and your king, the Bible says God takes the sin that is on your account for which you are responsible, for which you must pay the dues of those crimes. He takes the sin that's on your account and through no effort of yours at all, he takes that and he puts it on Christ's account who died on the cross to make that possible. And then he takes the righteousness of Christ, the sinless one, and he puts it on your account. You talk about amazing grace. You talk about an amazing exchange. And this is explained in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made him referring to Christ, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness or a right standing of total acceptability before God is a gift. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Like any gift, all we can do is receive it or reject it. And once you receive it by faith, his free gift of grace, which he paid the ultimate price for, so don't think it came cheaply. It's free, but it's not cheap. It cost him his life. This gift he offers you and me. Once we embrace it, accept it by faith, it's ours. It's ours for good. Before I embraced Christ as my Lord, I was Henry Shore physically alive in the earthly realm, but spiritually dead in the spiritual realm. Same way that Adam was spiritually dead after he rebelled against God in the garden. However, when Christ died in my place and rose from the grave and I put my trust wholly in him, in the spiritual realm, the person I once was that controlled me, that enticed me to sin, died with Christ was crucified and buried with Christ. And because of Christ's resurrection, Paul writes in Colossians 3.1, in the spiritual realm, I have been raised with Christ. I have been made spiritually alive. I am a new creation, a new person in Jesus Christ. Now I am Henry Shore in Christ. No longer in Adam, but in Christ. A person who's totally forgiven and righteous, holy and complete in the eyes of God, not because I live perfectly in the natural or the earthly realm. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. Far from perfect in this realm. But you see, in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual realm, I am righteous and I am perfect because I am hidden in Jesus Christ and he is righteous and he is perfect. Praise his name.
You know, church in the spiritual realm, this is who we are in Christ. This is our new identity. We are one with Christ. And if we're ever going to find freedom from the power of sin, we need not only understand our position in Christ and our identity to Him, but we need to believe it. And we need to live it to the core of our being. But here's the thing. We also live in another realm, don't we? The natural, the earthly realm. And in the earthly realm, we are still being made holy. We're still growing in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And often our experience in the earthly realm, and particularly the times that we fail and the times that we fall short, erodes our confidence and our conviction of who we are in Christ and tempts us into believing that we're a disappointment to God. That he's just kind of sick in his stomach at us. Because we just blew it again. And you see, it's that lie which just makes it so easy to say, oh, I'll just cash in and I'll just keep sinning anyways. But church, we need to understand that when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, he permanently joined himself to us. He is one with you. You are in him and he is in you. It's no longer you and your sin and failures against God. No, it's you and the Lord together against sin. You know, church, every day you're going to experience all kinds of temptations that will make you wonder if you died to sin, whether you're even a Christian. But God says, don't you doubt me on this. A transformation has occurred in your life in the eternal realm. You died to sin. And you are alive to God in Christ. Believe it. Don't act on the basis of your feelings. Act on the basis of your faith. Knowing that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that sin is no longer your master. As it once was. This is the first and most important key to finding freedom from the power of sin in our lives. We, we, we need to get this, folks. We need to know our identity in Jesus Christ. We need to know our standing before a holy God. A second key to finding freedom from the power of sin in our lives is to set our hearts and our minds on Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul essentially says, given who you are in Christ, that you have been raised with Christ, given, as he says in verse 12, that in the eternal realm, you are chosen, you are holy, you are dearly loved by God, given that you're a brand new person in Jesus Christ, begin to live and behave in alignment with your new identity in Christ in the earthly realm. He says, set your hearts, set your affections, your desires, and your minds on things above where Christ is. In other words, he's challenging us to be transformed not just in our beliefs and our convictions, but to be transformed in our behaviors. To begin behaving 
like a child of God. Like one who is one with Christ. And he uses the analogy of taking off and putting on clothes. In verse 5, he calls us to take off, to get rid of, to put to death the filthy clothes, as it were, that we wore before we were raised with Christ. And he gives a, a number of examples, including sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil and anger and greed and rage and malice, slander and so forth. And he says, instead of wearing these grave clothes, put on these grace clothes. And he lists those in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul says, put on compassion. This is to have a tender heart for people who are hurting or in need. The ancient secular world in Paul's day, they had little or no compassion for people who were in need. The sickly, the aged, the lame were discarded. And the handicapped were often subjected to inhumane treatment. If you were run over by a chariot, for example, or severely injured in some other way, you were typically just left to die. And once you did die, your body was discarded like yesterday's trash. In the Gospels, we read often that Jesus would have compassion on people that he encountered. And Paul says, when Christ invades your life, your heart begins to break over the things that break his heart. Paul says, clothe yourselves with kindness. Kindness is putting the needs of others ahead of your own. You know, we can all be insensitive. We can even be downright cruel to others. We're capable of that. But my sense is that many of us Canadians have learned to be actually quite kind to others because it's the politically correct thing to do. I mean, we Canadians are kind of known around the world as nice people. Isn't that right? And that's okay. I mean, it beats the opposite, you know. Nasty people, right? That'd be great. I'll take nice anytime. But you know, I've noticed sometimes I'm kinder to people I barely know than people I love the most. Someone calls and asks for a favor and we'll go out of our way. I mean, we'll spend an hour to provide what it is they're asking for. But an hour later, our spouse calls and asks if we just take a three-minute detour to pick something up that they forgot to pick up. And we lose it. Okay, so I lose it, all right? Okay, I lose it. <laughs> and we say crazy things like, you know, why can't you be more organized? Lord, in the same way I put on my shirt every day, please remind me by your Spirit to put on kindness. Paul says, put on humility. Humility is worshiping my Lord rather than myself. It's putting Jesus at the center of my universe rather than me. It's seeing things through his eyes rather than my own. It's believing what he says success is. What he says is right and wrong. What he says 
brings ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in life. What he says will matter most in the end rather than what my culture says or what I think. You know, in Paul's day, the Greeks had no word for humility. And it wasn't in their vocabulary because they didn't believe in it. In fact, they despised it, convinced it was a characteristic of weak people. How utterly unfortunate for them and for others who are deceived by that way of thinking. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're the people who reflect the heart of Jesus. They're the people who reflect the heart of his kingdom. You know, Jim Collins, in his best-selling book, Good to Great, he did a study of the most successful leaders, hundreds of leaders that he studied. And he discovered that the number one quality that distinguished great leaders from all the rest was genuine humility. Jesus can be believed. Paul says, put on gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. It is actually strength under control. It is a stallion who could stomp his owner to death but submits to his owner's control. It's a person who could humiliate someone with their superior strength or superior intellectual or reasoning abilities or superior communication skills but who, like Christ, chooses instead the way of gentleness. Paul says, put on patience. Patience is long-suffering in the place of insult, injury, abuse, or frustration. It means to burn long as opposed to having a short fuse. Paul says, bear with one another, which means give others a break. Believe the best about others and their motivations, not the worst. Give them the benefit of the doubt. He says, forgive those who have hurt you. Those who have disappointed you, have wounded you, betrayed you. And then he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Over all these articles of clothing, as it were, put on this outer robe called love that kind of just binds them all together and surrounds them all. And you know, when you realize just how much you are loved by Jesus, when you realize all that Jesus has done for you, when, when, when that truth and the reality of that truth increasingly becomes part of your thinking and your convictions and your experience, not only will your life be increasingly characterized by love, but also by some of the tangible expressions of love, including compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience and forgiveness. Now, I went through each of these virtues pretty quickly. Well, at least by my standards. Um, I could devote an entire sermon to each of them, and which actually I've done over the years as we've made our way through the Scriptures. But in light of the focus of this message, I want to drill down just a little deeper. We've already had lots of teachings on these sinful behaviors. We've had lots of teachings on these godly behaviors. 
The question I want to address is how do we do this on a daily basis? How do we on a day-to-day -day basis get rid of, put to death sinful behaviors in our lives and put on godly virtues like the ones that Paul's listed here and that we've briefly reviewed? You know, I like this analogy of taking off and putting on clothes. It actually kind of gives us a bit of an idea, a bit of a picture of what's involved here. First of all, putting on clothes is, is something we do daily. Or at least it's something we should do daily. <laughs> and you see, in the same way, this process of becoming more like Christ in the earthly realm is going to be a daily thing that we give attention to. Something that we do, something that we grow in the rest of our lives. It's not a one-time deal. The other thing about clothes is you put them on one item at a time. In the same way, I, I can have great compassion, still be struggling with putting on forgiveness because there's bitterness in my life. I need to deal with each area individually in my life. I need to put it on individually. But perhaps the thing that stands out the most to me is that putting on our clothes or taking off our clothes involves the mind. It is actually a very deliberate thing. It is not something that sort of happens by accident. A lot of times we just think that, you know, God should zap us and, 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 and we've got all this taken care of. You know, sin's gone and, and man, I've got all the, the compassion in the world and the humility and kindness and that. It just happens. No, it doesn't happen by accident. It involves attention is given to this. It involves the mind. I'm sure that the way I dress sometimes leaves the, those that I love the most thinking I didn't put much thought into this matter of getting dressed. But typically, we put thought into what we wear. Some of us probably too much thought. Well, Paul implies that the key to taking off sinful behaviors and putting on godly behaviors involves the renewing of our mind. In a sense, changing or transforming our mind, the way we're thinking. In Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, by thinking differently about these matters. So how do you renew your mind? Well, Paul says it begins by setting your mind on Christ as Lord. Look at verse 15. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Christ rule. Let Christ's view of security. Let Christ's view of what brings peace. Let Christ rule in these matters in your life. Believe Him about these things. Trust Him in these things. Look at verse 16. Paul says, Let the message of Christ, the word of Christ in some translations, dwell in you richly. If you dwell somewhere, you live there. Notice he doesn't say here, spend five minutes a day skimming God's word. No, he says, dwell there. Soak in it. If Christ is your Lord, if you believe he is the way, the truth, and the life as he claimed to be, then fill your mind with the truth of his written word. 
And the more you do that, the better equipped you will be to make God-honoring decisions, to put off certain ungodly behaviors and put on certain godly behaviors. I want you to turn over to Romans 6. In the time remaining, we're just going to look a little bit at this passage. Romans 6 and go down to verse 12. And this is what it says there. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. So in this passage, what Paul's really saying is, as someone who's come alive in Christ, as someone who's totally forgiven and accepted by Him in the eternal realm, the way we've talked about earlier, you now have a choice. Whether you're going to present and offer yourselves to Christ and live His life through you, or whether you will present yourself to sin, to the temptations and the lusts lurking around in your body and soul. And as I pointed out last time, even though the person that we once were has died, and we are a new person in Christ, the reason we're still tempted to sin is because everything that you learned, including all of your sinful habit patterns before you knew Christ, all this is still programmed into your memory. And unfortunately, there is no mental delete button. That would be so nice. But there isn't one of those. Which is why Paul says in Romans 12 too, if we're going to be transformed in the earthly realm, and to begin to actually live out what's true for us in the eternal realm, well, we're going to need to renew our minds. Kind of reprogram our minds. Now, Christ wants to live his life through us, his life of compassion and kindness and all these qualities. He wants to live that through us, but we have to surrender, or at least in the words that Paul's using here in Romans 6, we have to offer our minds, our emotions, our wills, our bodies to Him. We have to give Him or offer Him our mouth and our eyes and our ears and our hands and our feet for His good purposes. He says in verse 13, don't offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. I want you to notice that Paul personifies sin in this verse. He treats sin as a separate entity from us. He says to us, don't offer your body to sin. Like he's talking about sin like it's a thing or it's a being. And so I'm going to refer to sin, the way Paul's using it here, as Mr. Sin, okay? going to refer to it as Mr. Sin. Just to help us understand more completely the point that Paul's actually making here. You see, the desire to do wrong isn't really you if you are in Christ, like we've talked about. That's your earthly nature. The desire to do wrong is your earthly nature. It's Mr. Sin. And he's calling out to you. The real you, the spirit you who's alive and one with Christ, doesn't want to sin. See, so often we think that there are two of us inside. There's the good me that wants to do good, and then there's the bad me who wants to do bad. And there's this conflict between the two. But the truth is, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, there's only one of you now. 
the one who is hidden in Christ. And you will either give in to the temptations of Mr. Sin or you will submit your life and your desires to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm telling you, you are dead to sin. That ain't you anymore. It's not you against God, as I said a moment ago. No, it is you and God against sin. For the Christian, when temptation comes your way, the voice who says, I don't want to do this, is the real you in Christ. While the voice who says, I want to do this, is Mr. Sin your earthly or your fleshly nature. Now, I can't emphasize enough why it's so important that we get this. Here's why. Because, you see, when temptation hits us, if we believe that our desire to sin is the real us, rather than Mr. Sin or our fleshly, earthly nature, we're going to conclude... The same thing the two individuals concluded that I spoke about at the beginning of this message. We're going to conclude that there must be something wrong with our heart. There must be something wrong with our devotion to God. And that God is not only disappointed with us, but maybe we're not Christians at all. And you see, that can really discourage us from living in victory over sin and breaking the power of sin in our lives because we're going to be prone to believe that sin is still the master of our lives and since Mr. Sin is, we may as well just keep on sinning. Mr. Sin says to us, you know, I mean, you feel like you haven't changed. I mean, look at what you're thinking about. You might as well continue on sinning. Mr. Sin says, you know, there you go again. You just blew your top. You know, why don't you just face it? You're an angry person. You might as well keep expressing your anger. Mr. Sin says, well, since you feel lustful, Since you keep doing things to feed your lust, well, you're obviously a lustful person. So you might as well just keep feeding that lust. You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. Look at you. And Mr. Sin convinces you that those sinful thoughts are you. But God says that's a lie. It isn't you. You're a brand new person in me, in Christ. And yes, you will be tempted time and time again by your earthly nature, your Mr. Sin, but you are no longer a slave to Mr. Sin as you once were. You are in Christ and you do not have to present members of your body to Mr. Sin anymore. Paul says in verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Now, you do know what this all looks like, right? Here's how it often plays out. You get home, and your spouse is just a tad upset with you because of something you failed to do. And Mr. Sin whispers to you after she's said some kind words to you. Mr. Sin says, whispers to you, excuse me, but could I borrow your mouth just for a few seconds? <laughs> and you say, you bet. After what I just heard, you can borrow my mouth for as long as you want. 
And Mr. Sin goes, wah, 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 wah. And your spouse says, oh, well, thank you very much. And Mr. Sin says to your spouse, can I borrow your mouth again? And she says, sure, go right ahead. And Mr. Sin goes, yada, 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 yada. And right about then, your teenage son comes along and Mr. Sin whispers to him, can I borrow your mouth for a few seconds? And he says, go at it. And he goes, yap, 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 yap. And in those few moments, there is an exchange of anger and hurt, even rage, a touch of malice. And Mr. Sin goes, okay, my work is done here. Have a nice afternoon. Guys, you're at the airport and you walk past one of those magazine huts and Mr. Sin says, um, can I borrow your eyes just for a few moments? Now, as long as you believe the want to inside of you is the real you, you will always feel defeated in your Christian life. On the other hand, if you believe on the authority of God's word that the want to inside of you is your flesh, Mr. Sin, and the I don't want to inside of you is the real you, the new creation in Christ Jesus, then you have made a big step toward finding freedom from the power of Mr. Sin in your life. As long as you live, Mr. Sin will tempt you to loan your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, and your feet to him. And Paul says, there was a time when you were dead to God and sin reigned in you and you were a slave to sin. Oh, of course, occasionally you did some really good things. But most of the time, when Mr. Sin said, jump, you asked, how high? But now you are in Christ. Yes, you will still feel the lure of temptation. Because Mr. Sin is still a part of your earthly nature, your body and your soul. But the spirit part of you is now alive in Christ. And therefore, you have a new master, you have a new king, and you have the freedom and the power in Christ to say no. There's so many illustrations we could use to try to drive this home. I'll just use this one. Jesus prepares this fabulous banquet table for us. And he puts on this table the best food you can find anywhere. And he invites you and me to his banquet table. And he says, enjoy. And as his children... We have every right to enjoy. But you see, if we feel that we're not worthy to sit at his table, we go out the back door and we open up a garbage can and we scrounge around in the garbage can until we find some filthy, yucky, old, rotten food to consume. And this is something, friends, that I see happening 
in the lives of people again and again and again, and it grieves the heart of people. We're invited to the banquet table of our Lord. And instead of living in the victory of who we are in Christ, we go into the alleyways and we open up garbage cans and we eat garbage. And can you understand why that grieves Jesus? But you see, this requires, friends, that we actually believe that Jesus is the truth. That he's telling the truth about sin. And we submit to his lordship and we immerse ourselves in his word. Because if we don't, we will always struggle putting sin to death in our lives and choosing to clothe ourselves with godliness. You know, in Romans 6.21, Paul, he talks about our life before we embrace Christ. And he says, what benefit did you reap at the, that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? He's saying, look at your life. Look at the regrets that you have. Look at the way that the things that you did that were destructive, that created relational carnage. Look at all these things. What benefit did you get from all of that? from just filling out your lustful desires or whatever they might be. And then he says this, those things result in death. Paul's reminding us that wherever there is sin, there's death. Where there is gossip and slander, there's the death of a friendship. Where there is lust, there's often the death of a marriage. Where there is misguided priorities, there's often the death of a family. Where there's greed, there's often the death of a business. Sin is our enemy. Sin has resulted in our greatest regrets. It has wreaked havoc and carnage in relationships. The question is, do we believe Jesus in this? Or are we finding ourselves saying, yeah, that's true most of the time. But it's not true this, it's not true that. And we find our own little rationalizing ways of just kind of, you know, still trying to do our thing rather than believing him. Now, make no mistake, I know sin can be fun. I mean, we wouldn't give into it if it weren't. The Bible says it's only fun for a season, a time. And then there's death, then there's devastation. Paul says, trust me, there's always a cost that comes with sin. You reap what you sow. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but one day. There is a consequence. Romans 6.23, just go down a few more verses. Paul says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God, friends... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life isn't something that begins after you die. Eternal life is now. And we can live in the freedom and the fullness of all that Jesus offers us. We can enjoy his entire banquet table. It's ours. We don't have to go into the alley and dig around in garbage pails any longer. It's not going to happen overnight. We have to keep putting it on and putting it off just like we put clothes on and off every day. But when we surrender our lives to His control each and every day, we honor Him by living the godly life he calls us to, he will empower us and give us the victory. One step, one move at a time. You may not be where you want to be, but any of you that have been serious about this, you look back, even a year or two, 
and you will be shocked how much you've grown if you're serious about this. Bob George says, the human soul is like a wonderfully built grand piano, a magnificent instrument. However, the quality of the music that comes from it is totally dependent on who is at the keyboard. If a master concert pianist is at the keys, you'll be carried along on the rapture of beautiful music. But let a gorilla have a shot at that piano. And the result will not only be chaotic music, but actual damage to the instrument. And friends, that is your daily choice and my daily choice. Will you present yourself to Christ, the master pianist, who will take your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your hands, your gifts, your mind, your heart, he'll take all of that and produce incredibly beautiful music of his life through you? Or will you present members of your body to Mr. Sin with the discord and the destruction that it produces and that we see everywhere around us? I ask you, who's at the controls of your life today? Again, I want to read this passage. Paul says this. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, to Mr. Sin, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. May it be so for each of us to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Amen. Would you please stand with me? <coughs> so let's open our hands to the Lord and just ask those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what do you want me to do about it? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you just for the reminder of who we are in you. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that, uh, of just how much you love us and have our best interests at heart in all things. How you grieve over sin, Lord, because of its destructive effects on your children. Lord, I pray that we'll walk away today with a, a, a renewed understanding of God, of who we are in you. And also, Lord, just a renewed commitment to live up to the high calling, the person, the people that we are in you, a royal priesthood. faith-filled adventures that you have for them. And Lord, they'll just put off, they'll walk away, Lord, from the garbage cans. By your grace and through your power, we pray in Jesus' name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. If you... If you have a special prayer request, there are prayer partners making their way up here. They would love to pray with you before you go. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.